Back to Mind 16 with me, David, the podcast where we love to bring you some fantastic guests, and this episode certainly is no exception to that rule. I'm going to be sitting down and talking with Kelsey. You'll probably best know her as the premier girl from her massive YouTube channel. So we're going to sit down and talk about how she got started in YouTube, what her workflow is, why she chose Premier over Final Cut, and what plans she may have for the future. That and also her plugins that you can get from her website. So let's meet Kelsey. So, as I mentioned, we are joined on the podcast this time around with Kelsey. Your best known Kelsey is the Premier Girl. Kelsey, hi, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here on your little podcast. That's what we've been looking forward to this one for a number of reasons, and mainly because we're both Premier users. You're slightly in advance of me, but nonetheless, we both play with Premier every day. So, we'll be getting that into, into that in just a short time. You have this wonderful way of making things feel calm as well. I must say, you know, they oh, say about voices. You. Voices are so important on podcasts. I, I've got a radio background and listening to your voice, it's got that very calming. It would be a late night radio voice for sure. Some people say that I should do an ASMR channel or I should do <laughs> an audiobook or something. I've been blessed in that regard that I don't have like a super high kind of cheeky voice. I have a little bit of that lower a tone, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> yeah, that's no, a lovely voice. But um, so let's, what I want to try and do today, because obviously people tune into you on your channel and they get great advice, great tutorials, but what you don't get the chance to do is talk about you. So I thought it'd be a really good opportunity if we just took this time just to peel back layers. We'll get onto the channel later on and to what you do. Sure. But what brought you, as a, growing up, what brought you first to the idea of cameras, video, photography? What was the allure for you? Yeah, well, I grew up um, in the 90s where we all had little, you know, old VHS cams that we were playing around with. And it was kind of the start of the revolution of the digital revolution. And when I was in middle school, we had like those Mac computers, the rainbow ones at the end. So I kind of grew up learning some HTML and playing with the idea of becoming digital you know, and sharing things. Um, and in and, and high school, that's when kind of Facebook exploded at the very end of that into college. So I was lucky in the classroom to be able to, you know, ask the teachers like, hey, uh, for my book report, can it be a video version? Uh, can we do some commercial breaks and have fun? And so I was lucky to like, you know, play with my friends and like play with a camcorder. And literally it was just record. Oh, oh, we have to redo it. Let's re rewind and tape over what we've done. And so it was then that I kind of fell in love with collaboration and you know, finding my friends and creating these great friendships through the video form. And then uh, lucky enough in my high school, it was a public high school. There was a media academy where we could learn how to do video editing and have that tech class and the video editing class kind of pair up with our English and social studies classes. So we got to like do some fun political video campaigns and uh, book reports also in video format. And I just was like, okay, I have so much fun doing this. I want this to be what I want to do. So I ended up, you know, at the time, YouTube wasn't really a career. So I was like, okay, uh, let's apply to some film schools. Let's, let's see what we can do. So that's kind of how it got ignited. I was never like sitting at home, like, I want to be the filmmaker. I just was able to get my hands dirty. And also in the Bay Area, 
they have like the Lucas studios. And I had a few of my parents' friends who worked for ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. So I got a goal on the the set of where they did some Pirates of the Caribbeans and some some Hulk VFX stuff. And that was also super inspirational. Whereabouts were you brought up then? Because obviously accent gives way to the States. Yeah. So I grew up um, in the Bay Area, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. So um, in the San Francisco Bay Area region, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And so you said you had a chance to go to some film schools. And did you kind of then, I know you said it wasn't a, a preordained or predetermined career path. Right. But once you were in the film schools, did it really grip you then? Is that when you got thought, yeah, I'm liking this, this creativity and what it's allowing me to do? Yeah, because of course, like I took all of like the general education stuff that we all have to do. I was actually doing calculus and I did some physics because I thought maybe I wanted to be kind of creative in the architecture realm because it was a more guaranteed income at the time. You know, it's a little bit easier to find a job in that arena compared to filmmaking because I wasn't quite sure, like, would I just get a job as an editor on a set? Like, how do you do that? Do you intern? But 100% when I actually didn't go to like a proper, proper film school, I went to a film and media studies program at UC Santa Barbara. So they had production courses, but I got to learn about film theory, film history, and just kind of be in a more normal uh, UC kind of campus to experience that. And I love the department and people there were like not kind of snobby film people. It was very collaborative and it made me fall in love with it even more, um, the historical side of it, even to the point where I was like, gosh, I really want to teach and I'm inspired by these professors. And that's kind of where the intersection between um, instructional and digital learning and film studies kind of converged for me. And I thought maybe I would want to teach. And that's why I went on to higher education and actually got my master's. Um, but at that point, I was like, I don't want to be in the u- in the university space. And I was lucky enough to find a job where I was able to make short documentaries. And then from that, that's how I la- like experimented with YouTube. And then this whole premiere gal thing happened, basically. <laughs> so if we wind it on to the finding of YouTube, then obviously you said that when you were at college and laterally the latter days of schooling and stuff, that YouTube wasn't really a thing. And certainly a career path in YouTube wasn't a thing. What was it that made you think to look at YouTube seriously? And when you first started looking at YouTube, and I think I saw that you've been on there since 2016, is that right? I don't know if that's when you posted your first sort of, you know, playtime videos before it became serious. But you had 28 million views now, haven't you? 28 million. Yeah. I mean, I I see that and I'm like, oh gosh, that's good. But I also know that that's what some people make in a month, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of like... I'm still striving to grow. Like, I still feel like it's just the beginning. I'm just starting to, to figure out things, you know, it's like, it took so, it still takes years of practice, you know, Uh, YouTube, it's like, you got to experiment and you also got to change too, because Mm -hmm. it's like the view, like what thing, what people like to watch and how the algorithm works is, is constantly is changing, you know? Yeah, I mean, hopefully we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of the, the business of YouTube. It really fascinates me talking to other creators about the business of YouTube. And I think some of the, the viewers and listeners also that tend to listen to this podcast are either thinking of starting out or they've got channels themselves. Uh, so I think, you know, coming from somebody with experience such as yourself, it's really interesting for them to hear. So we'll get onto that in, in just a moment. But when you, there's this phrase isn't it, about niching down. Uh, again, all to do with the algorithm. Did you decide early on that you were in a very unique position 
the Premier Gal and also Premier. And I do definitely want to cover Premieres against Final Cut because it seems that there's only about three of us that use <laughs> Premier. It seems that YouTube is awash with people using Final Cut and espousing its glory. I've never quite got it. Premiere is awesome at what it does. So looking at your channel then, when you decided back in 2016 that you were going to begin making regular content, did you know then what direction you wanted the channel to go? Well, I kind of knew that I was good at explaining things and that the software that I was using at the time was the Adobe Creative Cloud um, is what I had access to. So it just made natural sense to share tips that I found because a lot of our job is problem solving and trying to figure out how to do things. And, you know, Google owns YouTube. So it's a huge opportunity to get views. And even if it's not like your main business per se, you could at least use YouTube as a way to um, kind of advertise your skills and that you're a professional in the field and you can get client projects from YouTube. And I certainly got a lot of attraction just from that regard of the YouTube channel. So you picked up commercial um, work just from the YouTube channel, did you? Yeah, like I got some people who were like, hey, I need help with this lyric video project. Um, I need a short explainer video. And in the beginning, I was doing some of those projects. Now I don't really do any client work because actually people come to sponsor within my actual channel. So I have brands coming saying, hey, can you, I have this new tool. Do you want to talk about it in your video um, sort of situation? So yeah, like the niche was just kind of perfect for me. So my audience really is video creators in general um, and video editors, professionals. So I'm kind of became kind of a, a calming voice in the community to say, hey, I'm not just going to spit out all these technical terms. I want to make this stuff accessible, high quality, entertaining and more relaxed and fun, you know, so it's more attainable. Certainly when I first came across you and when I was trying to, I, I had a good grip on Audition, but Premiere, before I started the channel, I knew, well, hands up, I hadn't opened it until 2020, embarrassingly enough. So I was desperate, desperate for information. So the amount of nights that I sat there watching videos and tutorials by you just to get me going and understand. The one thing I really warmed to, A, we've already established about the voice, which we know is very important on any kind of content. But equally, it was the fact that they weren't two-minute explainers. They were in-depth. You took the time to actually go through why something worked, not just making it work. And, and as we all know, when you've got problems, when everything's working fine, it's easy just to hit ABC. But when something doesn't right. work, that's where you need somebody like yourself saying, well, look, it's working because of this, because that in, in real world experiences actually helps you understand a problem better, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to explain the why. And it's a fine line because you have a range of learners in terms of levels, right? You have people that like are just opening Premiere for like the second week. And then you have people that have been in it for 10 years. And the beautiful thing is I get comments all the time being like, oh my gosh, I've been editing in Premiere for over 10 years, 15 years, and I'm learning something new every time I watch your videos, you know? So I think it, it's accessible for everyone. And, um, you know, I, I, I script my videos and I kind of talk about like what points I want to highlight and maybe something is unnecessary. Maybe that's a step that people can actually just quickly look up on Google and I don't need to cover it. So I kind of learn as I go along what things I need to cut out and what things I should leave in for that why context, right? Mm. And uh, you just mentioned in scripting. Uh, that's something that keeps mm -hmm. cropping up. I've just started a script myself. I've just bought a teleprompter. And it definitely seems the way forward. Uh, it keeps you on point more. 
and you don't waffle as much. And also it just makes recording time <laughs> a whole lot quicker as well, doesn't it? It does. And I don't use a teleprompter oh, do because I no, I actually, well, I, in a script, what I mean is I kind of write out generally what the steps would be and it's not word for word. Right. I basically just have an outline and I'm like, okay, I kind of prepare all the assets for the tutorial. And then I just kind of trust my voice and go along with it. And the reason why is I find the teleprompter can be limiting for me for any spontaneous moments that happen, like a funny moment or I say something, I react. And it really creates that genuine voice. I have used a teleprompter in the past, like for maybe five videos. And then I stopped because I just felt kind of robotic. But with the nature of my videos in the sense that it's really easy to just follow step by step. It's easy for me to be like, okay, I'm going to take a break here real quick from looking at the camera and I'm just going to like reference my script on the side. Okay, let's continue. You know, and it's, it's not live. It's, you know, I can cut out anything where I'm like pausing for five minutes, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a good flow for me. Um, There's and- a great cadence. And again, you've established uh, one of the things I liked about when I was looking around for creators to watch, to learn from. I love that there was regular content. And it's true, This we it's almost a trite word now, this community thing. But the more you watch somebody, you feel involved with them, don't you? You get to know them and you buy into them. Right. It's like a value. Like if what is your if you're wanting to start a channel and I think uh, Tim Schmoyer, who created a video creators YouTube channel, he talks about this a lot. He basically helps people, you know, grow YouTube channels, essentially. And it's. You need to clearly show your value, even if you're not saying what it is directly. The whole idea is like, I want to make this fun and accessible. And I think that comes through with the style of my videos and the way that I explain things. But yeah, you want to you want to convey a little bit of your personality because YouTube, I mean, there's a you in it for a reason in the title, right? You, people not necessarily have a relationship with you, but they feel like you're the friend that's going to help them out, you know, and you're going to be there to help them out. And I hope that that's the feeling that I convey. And that's kind of my goal with it. Um, and of course, it's not like a vlogging channel where I'm like, Let, today we're going to go out and go paddle boarding on the river together, guys. Let's pack up the bag. And it's not that type of style. Um, but I think that it fits my niche, right? And I'm able to it's sometimes creativity can work better inside of a box because you're like, okay, this is my niche. How can I be creative inside of it? And sometimes you can be more creative than kind of like my everyday life type of channel, right? Because that can get kind of exhausting to bring a camera around your family, your life and everything. You yeah, know? you're bringing, exposing yourself into it then, aren't you? You're bringing everybody around you into, right. into this choice that we've made to do this thing. Have you ever worked officially in any capacity with Adobe? Have you been there? or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Adobe has been great to the channel and very supportive since the very beginning. And, you know, they have sponsored a couple of videos on the channel. Uh, I work as an Adobe community professional. It's like a community program where I can um, basically share tips in the forum and help out the community. Uh, I've gone out to um, IBC in Amsterdam, the big conference there, an NAB show, and I've spoken um, at Adobe Max before in, I think, 2018 or 2017. So, yeah, like uh, they're not like a main sponsor of the channel. Like they're not like sponsoring Premiere Gala every video. Like I'm independent from Adobe and I do have I am sharing more and more tools now. I mean, AI is a huge thing that's mm. come out. So I'm sharing a lot of new tools. That was that your most recent video, create. wasn't it? Yeah, I, I have three new videos out yeah. on AI and it's it's a new thing. So 
Yeah, like the reason why I started in Premiere is because it was so similar to Final Cut Pro 7, which is what I learned when I was in high school. Um, so I was like Final Cut and then Apple announced they were discontinuing the studio platform and, you know, learning Final Cut Pro 10 at the time just seemed kind of backwards. And as a professional at the time, I was like, OK, I need to move on to what seems legit. And Premiere seems like it's getting developed still. Let's hop on the back and bandwagon. And, but I also want to explore and do comparisons between different types of software. I think at the end of the day, it's whatever works best for you. And it's like that vehicle that you prefer that will get you to that same destination, which is the final product, right? Um, so certainly there could be beyond Premiere, <laughs> beyond Premiere Gal is kind of what it's evolving <laughs> future, to right now. The future now. Premiere Gal. And when yeah. there's a new version of Premiere being worked on or new features, do you get those sent to you in advance to give them tr not just beta feedback, but trusted feedback, a professional feedback? Well, a lot of the new things that are coming out are already available to everybody in the Adobe Creative Cloud with the beta yeah, app, yeah. and they usually have release notes. But I am part of the PR list and kind of the editing pro community where we have calls every couple of months and it's like a group of people and they'll just show what's coming so we'll know that there's like an embargo out if there's like a huge new feature coming and they'll want us to cover it so yeah like when the new text uh the subtitle text panel came out like there were several calls about that beforehand and um yeah so i'm definitely a part of that and it's it's nice to see what's coming and it's also nice to see that in some of the videos where i like i'm like oh it would be nice if we could add transitions to these captioning layers and then two months later there's uh, transitions and animations because a ton of people commented so i, I want to hope that it's not only sharing the tips but it's actually influencing the the development of the product you know but again you're using it on a commercial and i would guess a lot of people that you're using premiere these days are using it for youtube videos probably so the fact that you're yes. using it in a real context gives good feedback to the developers at adobe about how things are really working in real time in real situations yeah absolutely it's like we're influencing them they're influencing us it's just like the cycle and i think premiere's headed in a good path and a lot of people have complained about premiere crashing and all this other stuff and I'm like, I haven't experienced that. Like, it's been such a stable program for me. And oftentimes I always ask people, I'm like, when's the last time did you clear your cache recently? <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people don't do that. But I also think it's on Adobe, too. They should have reminders inside the software like, hey, it's been 90 days since you've cleared your cache. That might be why you're Note experiencing delays. Yes, need to you do know? that. I used to do that regularly. I think part of it, because um, of course you're a Mac girl as well, aren't you? Yeah. Are you on Apple Silicon? I'll take it you are. I am. Yeah. And it's fantastic on it. And that's what's made me lazy. When I was on Intel, I used to have to regularly clear cache because it, I did notice things chugging along. But because this Apple yeah. Silicon, I've got an M1 Max that I'm working on uh, now. And it's so consummate that you just forget about doing general housekeeping. Which So uh, having spoken to you, I knew I'd get some gems out of this personally. <laughs> clear, <laughs> clear cache. Yes, yeah, a good good thing to be doing. Because again, as you say, I think that'd be a decent prompt to have from them because you, you, it does build up rapidly, doesn't it? It does. Video yeah, work is huge. Think, yeah. So I'm clearing it probably every week, every two weeks now. So every time I open it up and I'm done with the last project, I just make it a habit just to go up to preferences, delete everything, you know.
And you do you use the Adobe Suite, the full Creative Cloud. I mean, presumably you bounce oh, yeah. over the audio to audition quite regularly. That feature I absolutely adore. As I say, I think because I came from a background of audition first, so I felt more comfortable with audio. The fact that I could take right. it back from into my comfort place, feel warm and glowy and get it just as I want it and then take the audio. And it's just, a, I mean, it's a blink of an eye. By the time you hit save, it's, it's there. The, the, the waveform yeah, is back the in Premiere. It's fantastic, isn't that dynamic link? Dynamic link is wonderful. And for After Effects too. So I use the primary tools I use is Premiere Pro, After Effects and Photoshop. Like those are the main three ones. I don't really use Audition. I've used it in the past for a couple noise reduction things, but with some plugins for Premiere Pro and the Essential Sound Panel, I feel like I'm capable enough to get my sound where I need to be. But again, if I had come from Audition before, I probably would still use it like you did because, you you know, you want to stay in that kind of comfort zone. But the fact that you can jump in between so seamlessly, I think is what makes Adobe's uh, software such a it's 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 his biggest selling point, right? Like the connection between all of the of the apps, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact once uh, my background in graphic design actually, so of course once you've been using Illustrator or InDesign, the basic use of the Adobe Creative Cloud apps is very similar. It doesn't take long to adapt to what you need to be doing, which is something that I've made me really warm to using Audition first and then Premiere afters and the essential sound panel that you just mentioned again. Yeah, it's like having an audio editor just sitting there waiting to be used. It does everything that you could possibly want it to do, pretty much, doesn't it? It's it's phenomenal, and I think that uh, there's a few new tools that are kind of in beta that I hope will come to the Essential Sound Panel. Like there's this new tool called Adobe Podcast. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a vocal enhancer tool, and it cleans up the audio really well. Of course, there's not like a lot of finessing that you can do. Like there's no sliders to control how much of the effect that you want. But I was like, let's get this enhancer inside of the essential sound panel so we don't have to like leave the app. And it's by Adobe. So I just, it's just a natural, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't put it inside. Is that the one that's cloud-based you know? at the moment? I think I have used it. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, I yeah, forgot the name of it. What's it called? I have it's a, just Adobe Podcast. Adobe oh, I Podcast. Thought, they've got another one as well, haven't they? I think there's a sec, I think it was Adobe Podcast. And I think it's almost like a, a, a woman's name. Or I might be misleading. I'm going back into, but anyway, but yes, I know what you mean. It was, it was an AI for the voice and it just made an awful, you know, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just talk about your workflow because we can see your set behind you. I just pull out to solo. It's a lovely set that you work in. Oh yeah. yeah. So let's just talk nerdy for a minute. Let's just talk about how you actually let's work. Let's talk nerdy. Um, so we know clearly Premiere and what Mac are you working on? I have the 2021 M1 Max uh, 16 inch laptop right yeah and i've kind of been mac always again as we were talking about the beginning i just fell in love with mac when i was in middle school and ever since then i just loved it and i had like the trash can model i've had all sorts of laptops through the years and this one i can say is like is top tier and i think going forward i'm gonna stick with with the with the mac silicon and i have the 64 gigabytes of ram and the four terabytes of internal space because a video, you That's know, fine. you just, it's, it's always good to have more. And same with the iPhone. I'm always, I'm always like, do I need that much space? I'm like, yeah, I need that much space. <laughs> are, you, are you a terabyte iPhone girl? 
I have the 512. I think I begin to think we're almost, almost separated at birth because you've just outdone me on the storage. Uh, sorry, on the RAM, I've got 32, <laughs> not 64, but I've got the four terabytes again because it's just so much quicker, I find, no matter how good the external SSDs are, to be editing yeah. off the internal built-in SSD. Yes, it costs a little bit extra, yeah. but you're using this thing for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, so speed is all important and I just find it less glitchy. Totally. Um, totally. But yeah, so storage is important. And then what do you do about uh, archiving your footage? Do you keep A-roll? Do you keep B-roll? Yeah, I, well, as of now, I pretty much keep everything. The stuff before 2020 or before 2019, I kind of have on various drives and it's a bit disorganized, but I'm starting to be better because now I work with two editors on the team who are, you know, base remote. So we have Dropbox for Teams. And I just kind of created a folder structure where I have a folder called archive. And like all of last year is now in the archive folder. And what's really cool about Dropbox Teams is that everything is by default online. But if you use it recently, it becomes available locally on your drive. So when it's moved into the archive folder, essentially it becomes kind of only accessible from dropbox.com in the web browser. But if it's the desktop, app locally and we're all using that filter we can all easily access everything um and i pretty much keep it all because i shoot in 1080p which is actually surprising for some people but i actually do that to preserve space and i find offloading and sharing footage to take so much longer but i recently um found this hack using topaz ai with my final export i can actually upscale it to 4k so I can still have all my source media as Saved to 1080. 10, 1080p. And I'm going to start doing that. I forgot to do it with today's video I just published today. I was like, oh, I wanted to upscale it to 4K before I upload it, but I forgot to do it. But anyway, I was like, yeah, like it already looks so good in 1080p. I mean, to the human eye, I just feel like on YouTube, especially on web, like it's not going to be a huge difference, but I know going forward in the future, like people will probably tell the difference. You know, the, you know, those memes that yeah, are around yeah, right yeah, now where yeah. it's like people looking at 720p from 2023 <laughs> and it looks like all distorted. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a natural progression. So in terms of project management, it's all Dropbox right now. And mic and interface, how do you bring your audio in? Yeah, I just have this Rode um, NT-USB Mini and it's, I don't have an audio interface. It's just straight USB and I just adjust the level. And um, I also have this uh, lavalier that I record with. That's right. I've seen you um, in your lab. Is that a Rode? No, it's not Rode, is it? It's actually not Rode. It's Kamika. Yep. Spelled with a C, mm -hmm. Kamika. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's great because it charges itself in here and I can just keep this on my desk. So it's always fully charged. I recharge the unit kind of like an like AirPods, AirPod case. Yeah, yeah yeah and i found that this is just a nice workflow so i have this plugged directly into my camera which is right above my laptop here and i use this as a backup mic that i record into my screen recording so i sync my picture audio with the screen recording audio and i use this audio in the actual edit but I have this, you know, just in case something happens yeah. with the mic and I can't use it or something, it's always good. And for your uh, on-screen, the, the tutorial part of the video, do you use something like ScreenFlow or something like that when you're recording your screen? I use this app. It's just a basic screen recorder. It's called Capto and it's Capto for Mac and it's not subscription, which is great. You just buy it once, I think, for $29.99, have it forever. And you can just click and record any dimension that you want, whether it's, you know, 
UHD or full HD. And, and then I do all of my Zooms and all the editing inside of Premiere. And uh, yeah. looking, at, looking at your workflow, because I find that uh, that's something there's a great disparity with, with creators. Some people sit their pants, think what they're going to do the next day. Others have got months of storyboarding worked out and videos worked out. How, where do you fall? Are you ultra prepared? Have you got two, three months worth of videos lined up? or? Absolutely not. I was uh, in January. Heavens. I was. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me feel less awful Absolutely about myself. <laughs> I, I think the farthest I got ahead was about three or four videos once. And I was like super stoked about that. Um, but of course, if you go on vacation, it's like, you know, we have a small team. Like my partner, Anya, is the project manager um, and dealing with like brands and partnerships. And, you know, I'm dealing with like the creative stuff. And I have two editors and one thumbnail designer. But like, it takes a lot of work just to do that one video. So, you know, it's kind of like a week by week. And sometimes I can do two videos a week and try to get ahead. Um, but it's really difficult. And it's also nice to stay in the moment, too, because you're kind of reacting relevantly to topics that are happening on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I think it's rare to find people that are that far in advance, unless you're kind of a vlog channel doing like your daily life and you can kind of get ahead. But in the tech realm, you kind of have to stay present with what's happening in the now. Um, Cause otherwise you'll be posting about something that was hot two months ago, <laughs> you know? So. And with your particular style of channel, which is clearly quite zoned in, quite niched. When do you decide that you're going to look at say audio in Premiere or AI in Premiere? How do you decide what videos you're getting? What, is it just a, a gut feeling that you get that something's interesting you or a problem that you've had or viewers get in touch and say, I'd like to, you to cover? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because I had a friend who reached out to me recently and was like, hey, Kelsey, I want to meet up. I don't want to become like an old mushroom, <laughs> like <laughs> to grow old. And like, I because she does, she's not really in a creative job right now and she misses that. She's like, can we just like get together and like brainstorm? And like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, like, I don't really have like a brainstorm session. That's not really how I work. I can be on a walk with my dogs. I could be cooking eggs and I come up with my idea. Like, like I... I come up with these ideas as I'm doing everyday life. And it's not like a brainstorm session, like the classic cliche, like I'm at a whiteboard. I'm like, what am I going to do? It, that's not how it works. Like I could be brushing my teeth and doing everyday things. And I come up with an idea and it's just a gut feeling. And it's just based on something that I've watched or I've read, or I can see that's kind of trendy right now. And lucky enough, because our channel has such a wide reach now, we get a ton of people coming to us saying, hey, we've developed this new tool. So I have a lot of people coming in and being like, hey, I developed this new AI tool that helps remove noise. And I try it out and I'm like, oh, this is great. And if I get enough of these tools, I can do kind of a list style video where I'm like, oh, here are like five new tools that I've started using that you should try out. Right. So that's a classic case of just what happened this past month where I had so many new tools that I actually made two videos called AI tools. And I covered like 10 new tools between those two videos. Um, so yeah, it's kind of in the moment. It's also a gut feeling. And it's also kind of looking at analytics too. So if I look back um, in the past year, my top videos are either about something new that's in Premiere Pro, a list style video, like five ways to do something or something with AI. So I'm trying to stick with that type of topic to kind of come up with a formula for success. So that way, you know, we can continue to get like 
more views that are consistent, right? Because sometimes it can be a total flop and I'm like, what happened? Like, I thought I was going to do well. And it is sometimes like that, you know, but if you can kind of stick with those themes that, you know, do well, you're more likely to get that consistent view set. Yeah, I guess because people are going to begin to associate you with Premier AI and think, oh, I know I can get good advice and begin looking you out for that reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When did you talk about the channel generically again now? When did you begin to see the channel really taking off, really exploding and beginning to get brands coming to, to you? Was it long after you began posting videos? Yeah, I, I think the, after the first, the first six months of the channel, I was still working full time as a video producer and editor. So I was just kind of reaching out to these tools that I thought were cool and was like, hey, could you give me a free license and I'll demo it in the video? And then those relationships kind of blossomed. And then as we started to get returns, we started negotiating potential sponsorships um, about a year or so later. And a lot of them, I still work with a few of these brands and a lot of them are new too, but pretty much in the last three years, it's been brands coming to me. Um, so it took about three years of hard work to really get that level of respect and um curiosity from other types of brands coming and you know i get even random stuff too like i have people come in who are um have a new video game or <laughs> a different a chair for for sitting at your desk or a standing desk and i have lots of softwares and some of them don't have a great budget um so i end up turning them away which is a great uh a point to be in because the demand is high i can now have a higher price point um, to meet at. And it, it works out great. But um, sometimes it's hard to decide because I'm like, oh, you know, overthinking, you know. And I think over time, you kind of develop that kind of sense of when you know it'll be a good uh, idea for sponsorship or collaboration. Because I've done some sponsorships before with certain brands where it just didn't work out. Maybe their budget was a little bit lower. And then usually the ones that have the lower budgets always have the highest High requests. Expectations, and yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's such a strange thing. So you just kind of have the sixth sense when it comes to partnerships. And, um, you know, now I have like a rate card that we develop. So we design like a little thing that says like how many views we have, you know, our followers, our newsletter list, and just, you know, set prices that we can just easily send to people. And usually that's a good filter because then they'll be like, sorry, we can't, we can't meet that budget or it's a perfect match and then it works out. I mean, as much as the content creator economy seems to have been around for a long time, it's still very much in its infancy. And I was talking to right. you on a, a podcast recently, actually, about creators having to know their worth and not devaluing themselves and selling themselves too short. Because in yeah. essence, we've replaced a lot of the traditional kind of medium. We've done the market research for them. We found their audience. We found the people they want to get to. And also, of course, with video, it's going to be there forever. It's going to be out there to watch. Right. Evergreen, acting for them Evergreen. forever and a day, isn't it? So, it, it, you know, it's something I'm just learning, but it's certainly something that, that interests me about the business of YouTube is that the value that we, without wanting to sound pompous, the value that we can hold to a brand. They've come to us for right. a reason, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Exactly. You're the pro. And I've had a another YouTuber, uh, Leela, on YouTube. She does some tutorials yes, as well. And yes, yes, yeah, sure. She um she came to me and she's like, Kelsey, you have to raise your rate. Like your <laughs> your your value is more than this. And she's been a great supporter. And we kind of bounce, we actually help each other out. Like we've had similar brands come to us and you know, we help each other out to make sure that we're value, valuing each other 
around oh, the same rate, and which is really cool, you know. So I'm guessing if they're reaching and, out to you, it's a good chance of reaching out to her at the same time. So you don't need playing <laughs> catch up with one another, yeah. Yeah, we don't see each other as competitors. I mean, we keep each other relevant and uh, we have a very friendly kind of back and forth with each other on the content. It was great to have that, you know. Um, there was something else to say. Oh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where it's kind of like there's people that come to us and they're like, oh, we can meet you at this rate if you have guaranteed views within 30 days. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> seriously? In five years from now, it could have half a million views and you're still getting reaping the war, war, yeah. rewards from that. Absolutely. You know, so it's kind of like I'm like, I'm not going to work with people that only value the short term. And I kind of just decided that recently because I've had this happen in the past. And I'm like, OK, like, sure, we can put this random number in here. But it's also kind of like it doesn't make sense. And I started to write that out, actually. And I have like a little template of like what I wrote out. I'm like, the reason why we don't work with partners that don't value the long term is because of da 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 da, you know? And so it's it's something that you have to, you need to have values as a business person yourself and you need to have things that you don't do, things that you say no to. And I think it's good advice for people who are in this game. And then there's some people who come to us and say, oh, we only pay um, X amount of dollars for uh, per CPM, which is like per thousand views. And that's also not a standard either. It's it's still there's no standards here. So all you can really do is kind of like know your value and stick to it. And then you're going to be the happiest because you're going to be working with the brands that meet you at your value point rather than feeling undercut, you know. Uh, talking when we were talking gear a moment ago, I meant to bring up cameras. You, you shoot Canon as well, don't you? Ah, I, I was looking at, I was all over your website, obviously getting ready to talk to you. I always like to try and get behind the person a little bit and, and learn more about them. And yeah, I mean, Canon is something new to me. Uh, again, I feel like I'm embarrassing myself, but until recently I was shooting on an <laughs> iPhone 14 and then I, <laughs> I bought my first, first ever camera and I couldn't be happy. It's a Canon 90D and I'm absolutely loving it. It's made me fall in love with the art of, I mean, that, if I'm not learning about Premiere, I'm, I'm spending time looking at lenses videos now and trying to work yeah. out all the different things. It's just it's a whole nother world, isn't it? I'm sure I'm going to be wasting money on lenses soon. I'm so sure of it. So, so what's your, have you, do you fall in love with cameras as well? Have you got a whole number of bodies that you've got there? I have a bunch. I mean, when I was first starting out, uh, I had, you know, the Canon 5D Mark III. And it, this was, and the Canon 5D has, you know, been around for so long. And that was kind of the first moment that people were starting to shoot film on DSLR cameras. And it kind of became this whole revolution of DSLR filmmaking at that time, especially when I was in college. And then since then, you know, all the mirrorless cameras that came out, I had the Canon M1, the Canon M3, and what was the other one I had? M7? I can't remember, but I have all these old mirrorless cameras that only went up to, you know, full HD, um, 24 frames per second or 30 frames per second that are just sitting here. But I have the Canon EOS R and I have two of them. I have one back here too. That's what you're shooting on today, um, yeah. The OSR. Uh, right now I'm just using my laptop camera, but on the uh, for my YouTube videos, I talk directly to the EOS R here and um, I have like a little on-camera monitor so I can see myself better. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's great. Uh, it's a full frame, you know. Um, it does have the crop though, like on the 4K, it'll crop in which is kind of annoying. Um, and I, but I don't shoot 4K, so it's not a problem for me. Uh, and I have the, uh, the EOS R lens. I have the R35 
a millimeter that goes down to aperture 1.8. So it provides a nice soft. kind of fuzzy background, soft background. See, it's lovely. It looks great. You've tapped into me. That's what I'm after now. I want a 24 mil 1.4, but they don't come cheap. I've been looking at them. They, they don't. don't come cheap. I need to start earning some money first before getting into those. I wanted to talk to you about YouTube Shorts as well, because of course, I think it's about right. now that they're starting to monetize or certainly sometime within the next few weeks. I can't yes. understand exactly how they're going to monetize being such a short form. I, with the longer term video, it's it's the pre-roll, mid-roll adverts. That's where they're making their money and retention on the platform as well. If you're yeah. watching, say, one of your videos and they click the end card and they stay on for another two videos, they could be on YouTube for an hour easily, which is right. what YouTube wants. But with the shorts... I mean, look, they've got far better brains than, than me behind them. So I'm sure they've got it all nailed down, but I don't see how it's going to monetize and how we're going to monetize out of it equally. Uh, does it all go to the same account, do you know? Does it, does it go into the same AdSense account? or? I think so, yeah. It's calculated differently. Um, I think they posted an article about it, how exactly they're calculating it um, to like the YouTube Partners program at mm -hmm. least. But it's similar to TikTok in the sense that you make a certain share split out of all the views on the entire platform. So it's not just based on, it's about your number of views in comparison to the whole lot. And it's kind of confusing, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, you know, I'm just like scrolling and then I'm not really watching. Like I'm just kind of like half there That's it, when I'm yeah. watching a short and I'm not that engaged. They're usually like memes. I kind of feel like shorts and different things are just like quick little ideas or memes. Mm. And that's pretty much it. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's still in its infancy, but I think another year from now, we'll have an understanding of how it works. I have a few shorts on my platform. Some of them did okay, but um, I, I generally short more, uh, share more of my tips in Instagram reels. So I grow a different audience right, okay. there for like quick tips. So that's your shorts people, platform, really? Yeah. Yeah. And then on YouTube, I, I've just, I get most of my ad revenue from these longer 16 minute videos, you know? Um, and it works out better. So I kind of had that moment last year where I was like, shoot, should I be doing more of them? And I feel like mm. I put more pressure to create this content, but it's like, I do well. And we, all of us do well when we have one focus, right? And if we're, we're, we're splitting our focus across trying to do these different things, it's going to make our original focus content less great, uh, because we won't have that time there. So I've always felt like I do well when you just kind of have this focus, you know, it's kind of like when a new, uh, a new thing comes out, a new shiny thing, people are like, Ooh, should I get that? Um, but it's like, no, like what I have works, you know? So why would I, why would I change that? I might post a few here and there and just see how it does, but I can't imagine it's going to get to the level of what the standard rev share split is going to be. Well, again, you made a point earlier on when we were talking about learning your trade and it, when you're trying to perfect the, the art of the longer form video it's almost diluting you then unless you're very very talented or got a big team around you trying to then right. suddenly switch pace and go to shorts like you have dabbled in them but i don't feel the same love affair by the time i upload a video i don't think it's the same with you i'm kind of done with it i've looked at myself heard that audio seen it so many times by the time it's ready to post i'm done with it but done. <laughs> you, you, during the editing process you become very attached to it i know it sounds odd but it, you become really in, in sync with it don't you know every floor fault breath and so on and with the short you don't get the same <laughs> attachment i don't know if that's just me but yeah well what i've done on youtube for example the ai video editing tools it was uh i think six tools i showed in that video 
that's six opportunities to make a little short about that tool or just take that section of that edit. I'll clip it. And trim it down. And that's exactly what I did for a silence remover. A remover. It's called Time Bolt. And I just took that section of the edit, plopped it in a new sequence, just refined it a little bit and put it out. It didn't take that much time. It wasn't a new whole thought process. So mm. it's kind of being smart about how to adapt your existing content into a short form that makes sense for the platform. Um, it's not reusing because some people say, oh, don't you know, make the same content on all the platforms. You should be making unique content for each platform. But in this case, it kind of makes sense, right? Because you're taking a tool that you already have and you're you know, growing a, another audience, another opportunity. Yeah. yeah, you're highlighting it and, you know, watch the full video. I don't really say watch the full video there because they're unique audiences. Mm -hmm. Like most of the people that follow me on Instagram already follow me on YouTube, you know? So it's kind of like, it's just highlighting something that will be like, oh, is this, you know, from a video? Let's go check it out on YouTube. But you don't need to be so obvious about it. It's being more discreet, you know? And so my ears picked up a short while ago and you mentioned amongst the team that you now have working with, you've got a thumbnail editor. Yeah, so, so you've offloaded uh, that entirely, have you? Uh, sorry? You've offloaded the thumbnail design entirely now. Partially, partially. So I have like a notebook where I'll, I've, it was kind of like my New Year's resolution to focus more on making sure the thumbnail is reflective and unique and its own art piece that complements the video. And so now when I'm like uh, writing my outline for the video, I start to be like, okay, so how can I visualize this? video and I just do like a rough sketch in my notebook and my editor who edits the videos he's also comes from a design background and he's done thumbnails for other youtubers so I had a chat with him and I was like hey how would you feel about trying out some thumbnails so he's done the last few ones and I'm also quite fluent in photoshop so he will do the design based on my sketch and then right like not right before I upload but kind of like a couple of days once I get the uh, uh, PSD file I'll just go in and make a few fine-tuned tweaks to it, and then it's good to go. So it's a it's a nice workflow because we share the PSD file in Dropbox, like I was talking about before. So we have the thumbnail files and we have all the media files as well. So it's been really nice because it I can see that it's made a difference. I even had a friend reach out to be like, "Hey, did you get a new designer? Because your new thumbnails are doing are, are great." And I'm like, "Yeah, like we've been we putting more effort into pull it." Those up. Um, hold on, if I go yeah. to your web so, page. Uh, yeah, the last uh, six videos there are all from the new, the last six videos are all the new thumbnails. And you can see the yeah. theme, you can see that there's a similar, because that's a beautiful thing of looking at the page, you're beginning to see it's, it's very recognisably you, isn't it? Yeah. There's a splash of yeah. yellow through them all, which is clearly your colour part, your brand. And as, yeah, you can see the way your thumbnails are beginning to go this year then. And as you yeah, say, AI, so, AI, 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 AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those ones. We're going to see how they do. But yeah, it, it may only last for the first quarter, the AI theme, but we'll see what's going to happen. But I think it's, I think it's just going to continue to grow. This is a great thing about being in this field is like there's always just something new the next week. You know, you never know what's coming. And of course, over on your website as well, you've developed some templates and plugins and so on. There's a full bundle. It's, it's called Gal's Plug, Premier Girls Plugin, isn't it? Gal's Everything Bundle, that's it. Gal's Everything yeah. Bundle. Yeah, I'm working on a plugin panel with a developer right now that's going to not include all these templates, but it's a bunch of new uh, kind of templates that are going to be very useful to people and it's going to be its own panel and that will be its own separate thing. 
I don't know when that's going to be released. We're still fine tuning the design. But yeah, like the store kind of became a space for me to continue to monetize the content, just like some people create merch and like t-shirts. I'm like plugging like a plug-in pack and it's great because you don't have to deal with shipping. It's a digital product and, you know, it provides some extra uh, income per month, which is great. And I try to make the templates as useful as possible. Like what is something that I would buy that would save me time, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, uh, between YouTube ad revenue, affiliate marketing, and then kind of my Patreon community in the store, it's, you know, I feel like I'm building the legs of the table, you know, that support kind of the business structure. I don't come from a business background, but I kind of, as a, as kind of working on YouTube, like you just kind of learn, you know, what are the different ways that I can diversify um, this? So it's not just all in one thing, you know? And what was it the, the Patreon? Because again, I know there's a link there from your banner on, on your uh, YouTube page. What do your Patreon members benefit from? They know early content, early release? Yeah. So I used to, I used to have multiple tiers, but I found that that just complicated it. And it actually is a lot of work to try to keep up with the Patreon community. So basically I simplified it as one level and I'm calling it the video editing room. And basically you get access to a discord server for help and to help each other out. You can get access to a few like presets and templates that I share in my tutorials. For example, the one today I made a kind of a caption pop-up bubble preset. And I made that free to my patrons. So little perks like that. And I don't really do early release because (laughs) I find I'm barely able to release it on time. So (laughs) uh, it just doesn't make sense for me in that regard because I want their views on YouTube. Um, And I know that I can make it unlisted before, but for me, it just, there's not enough leeway there for Mm -hmm. me to enable that. So it's just, and just a way for people to just like chip in and be like, hey, thanks for helping me out, you know? Yeah, 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 and yeah. that's that's kind of what it was in the beginning. And I think it kind of got a little crazy with people adding all these rewards. And I'm like, adding all those rewards, it's a lot of extra work. Like already I'm I'm providing that value to them through the YouTube videos. So I kind of narrowed it down and made it something realistic that I can deliver. And I think that it's in the fact that it's more simple, I think it's it's going to benefit the community. And people be like, oh, it's it's five bucks. Why yeah, not? cup you know? of coffee. Yeah. And you're helping yeah. somebody that get, gives you value and somebody you enjoy watching on a daily, weekly basis. So, yeah, supporting. And that's the thing. It, people are willing to support because of what you're giving them back. It's, again, I'm just beginning to learn that value myself, but it's clearly there. If you are actually providing yeah. something for people that makes them want to come back and watch you week after week, they're willing to, to help you out for the price of a cup of coffee, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Now, early on, I, I mentioned I wanted to talk to you Final Cut versus Premiere. It seems that the majority, you, Leela, I think McKinnon, I think he's a Premiere, but that you, it, it, most of the time you hear people talking, it's all YouTube Final Cut. You, and I don't know if that's the people that I watch, possibly because I'm sort of a, a, a Mac, Adobe. My, all my history is Mac and Adobe, basically. So the algorithm's clearly going to pull me to those people. But right. I've. Always, I haven't used Final Cut. Obviously, you have. And I, for a time, I thought, do I want to be in the cool club and use Final Cut? And then I figured, well, I'm going to spend an awful lot of time relearning skills that I've already got. And at the end of the day, it produces the same, in essence, the same video. Have you noticed any major changes between the two platforms? Um, well, I can't say because I haven't dabbled in Final Cut Pro, the new version, since 2012. So it's been a long time. 
But um, it's funny that you say that because I find there's a lot of people that are in Premiere on YouTube that I find, but maybe that's just because I see it pop up. But mm -hmm. I feel like the solo creator who loves Apple, it makes sense for Final Cut, right? Because it's not subscription, which is a huge benefit for people that are maybe just starting out. They don't want to have to keep paying per month as part of a business uh, fee per se. And it's just more accessible in that regard. And and then you get a lot of people that are now moving to DaVinci Resolve because you have people that are really into color grading and are professionals. And it's also a one-time fee. And they're able to do that because uh, Black, Black Magic, its core business is the cameras, right? Mm -hmm. And they develop the software to support the cameras. And that's why they can make it uh, non-subscription. Adobe, on the other hand, is entirely software. So they have software as a service as their business model. There's no way that they're ever going to change that now. And I understand both sides of it, you know? Um, so for me, I agree with you. It's like, why, why relearn something unless it's that much better? And I don't understand a lot of the pain points that people have when they decide to, you know, switch to Final Cut, mm. for example, because they don't want to pay subscription. I understand some of the masking and some of the things are a little wonky in Premiere, <laughs> but, you know, you just kind of overcome that and they're improving a lot of the things. So in terms of comparing them, I think, like I said before, I can't, I can't really compare them because I don't have the latest version of Final Cut installed on my computer to kind of do the pros and cons. But again, this is something that I want to do. It's on my to-do list. I want to download Resolve. I want to download Final Cut. And I really want to be able to give people an answer to say why you should use Resolve, why you should use Premiere. But right now I can't give that accurate, you know, formula of why you should do something because I just don't have them downloaded to say. So there could be a video coming up where you almost AB and head-to-head Premiere and DaVinci to show if you're doing such and such, maybe DaVinci is what you need or... And like, what's all the hype about it too? Mm. Because I, I'm like, are, is DaVinci like paying these people to like comment on all the premiere videos to say this? I don't think that's happening. I think that's just a funny uh, thought that popped in my head. But I get some people would be like, oh, I moved to Resolve and I'm so glad that I did because it solved all these problems for me. And I'm like, interesting. Um, but I also hear that DaVinci has a huge learning curve and it's a little bit more complex of a program. So once you get over that hump though, you're smooth sailing. Mm. So it's uh, Final Cut has a very low barrier to entry, I believe. Premiere Pro is a little bit higher, but there's so many resources. There's so many tutorials. There's so much learning about Premiere. There's so many templates. There's so many plugins. That's another huge benefit of Premiere. Um, and with the Essential Sound panel and all of the Essential Graphics panel stuff, it's just, there's really no limit to the amount of things that you can create with it. It has everything that you need. And the color, I, it works for me. Unless I'm doing like Hollywood films where maybe I need some more fine-tuned ability with masking and color correction, that's maybe when I would maybe consider Resolve, right? Hopefully that was useful. Yeah, absolutely. Because as I say, it's, it, it, I, I think it could just be the particular channels that I look at. I hear an awful lot of people talk about Final Cut, but I just couldn't work out. I've looked at the odd tutorial about them and it didn't seem to be enough to draw me over and certainly it's something I referenced earlier on it's when things go wrong and I had an instance of that this time last week last Friday I was having an absolute nightmare but luckily because I kind of knew my way around particular audition it, it got me out of jail and you can't buy that experience can you? you can't buy that time back yeah exactly exactly and also just like I would use Photoshop 
um, potentially Illustrator, and it just makes sense to have the full apps plan. Right? Well, that's the thing. I know people have said about the the subscription plan that Adobe's on, but I can remember, sadly, probably back to when Photoshop was a buy program, and then to get right. the updates was a massive another investment. And then when it came around to Creative Cloud in the early days, I'm guessing going back to ten years now, roughly maybe Creative Cloud. I didn't think it seemed bad value for money, to be honest, particularly if you're using two or three of the apps on a regular basis. And okay, that's a fortunate position I'm in that I regularly use Photoshop, Lightroom, InDesign, Audition and Premiere. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Clearly, in the UK, I pay, I think, £45 a month or something like that. It, It seems to me to be ridiculously good value for money. I don't mean to sound privileged or anything, but it yeah. just sounds very good value right. for money to me because I'm getting so it much out of it. lowers the barrier, right, Absolutely. for people to start creating and start learning because if it was like... You can still buy per app, can't I you? You th- can get a subscription per app store. I think you can just... Uh, have, yeah, I think you can get single yeah, apps, but it's yeah. not as good of a deal. Mm. And yeah, like when it was the box that you would have to buy, it wasn't it like $1,500 like yes, or exactly. And people forget that. And so yeah. If yeah, if you're just starting out, it's like, oh, like, I don't know how this video business is going to go do I really want to invest $1,500 into starting this? And now you can just buy it for a month and try it out see and how then you go. just continue. So yeah, I see both sides as I was saying before. And it's a good it's a good business model for them, I think. And before letting you go and get into your weekend, you've got a close association with Envato. I think you use a lot of their, yeah. their plugins and effects through your videos, don't you? Yeah, I do. And uh, it's a great resource between all of my editors. We can just pop in and find a stock video clip or a music clip that we need or a new template, especially if it's something related to what I'm talking about. And it's great. Like it really has endless opportunities within Envato. And again, it's subscription. And basically the way it works is you can just go in and assign the asset that you download to a project that you're working on. And then that license remains for that project forever. So it's not like if you cancel, then those licenses you've had become invalid. And um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. And uh, they're headquartered in Australia. And I have a close place in my heart for that because I studied abroad in Australia when I was in college. And I lived in Melbourne for a bit. And I just loved it there. So I'm like, yay, Envato, Australia. <laughs> and there's a seven-day trial that's available off your website as well, isn't it? If people go over there to yeah, premiergal.com, yeah. they can grab a seven-day trial for it. And it's that attention to detail. When you've got, so clearly, you use effects. Oh, that's terrible English. Use effects to great effects. Sorry, I <laughs> apologise. There's too many no. effects in that sentence. Why not? But um, yeah, and it's that kind of polish and that detail with somebody like Envato that can really lift the final product, isn't it? You could have just a flat, boring yeah. video or suddenly it just pops and sings just because you put that extra yard in and just giving it that little sprinkle of love. Yeah, I always say the difference between kind of a beginning editor, like amateur and kind of professional, at least on YouTube, from what I can see, is like the things that they do that you don't have to do. Of course, you can just have a talking head talking the whole time if you want to. But if you spice it up with sound effects and you put in that extra effort, you can really see it shine, right? And I find that that's the difference. The things that you don't have to do that you do is what makes you a great editor. And it requires a lot of patience, Um, but it does get easier as you start to collect those assets and come up with like templates and routines and flow in your workflow. Those types of things that you thought you should take a lot of time, you can do in seconds. And have you got any plans for the next videos coming up? Are you willing to let let us know what might be the next couple to hit the channel? 
Yeah, there's going to be a little bit on some of the new text-based editing that is now available in Premiere Pro Beta. Um, essentially, it's kind of a hot topic right now where you can like select text and delete it. So you can develop your rough cut just by using your transcript instead of like actually watching back the footage. Mm-hmm. So a little bit on text-based editing, probably a few more AI tools, especially around voice tools. And a few <laughs> that are actually quite funny that can basically take your talking head and like, let's say I'm talking to you and we recorded this video of me telling you about something. You can take that little recording, upload it to this tool, and it can change my lip syncing to a different language. So it can have me speak in Spanish and it will and move my lips. Yeah, correct for Spanish. To, <laughs> yeah, so it'll wow. have... a proper Spanish um, like AI voice talking. So it's not my voice. And then my lips would move. It's not exactly perfect, but it's in development now. And I just thought it was a riot watching it back of me speaking in Spanish. And (laughs) I I could see it being very useful for uh, instructional learning. So people that make those kind of instructional videos around the world in all the different languages, they can just upload that same person and have their lips move to, I don't know, French and you know, Spanish when somebody asks me next time, how many languages do you speak? How many do you want me to speak? Just watch this video. I speak them all. They're all there. <laughs> <laughs> AI. Exactly. The, I think the first time I stumbled across AI actually was with Descript, uh, where yeah. I used to record a lot of interviews back in my radio days, and it was with jazz musicians. And oftentimes they'd be in the worst environments, in changing rooms with glass and mirrors and all. And I was trying to clean it up. And Descript had a really good tool for making rough audio really? sound good. Uh, and it was, as you know, upload, sit back, have a cup of coffee and it's done. Yeah, exactly. So that's so first of my kind are, of experienced AI. So I really think a lot of the themes are going to be related around AI and these new tools. And it, it seems like it's it's opening up my niche to a little bit more to not just premiere users, mm. but just creators in general. And I think that's a smart move for me right now. I'm in a good place right now where I have a solid audience, but I'm building up a little bit more. And I think that's the direction that I want to continue to go in. So I really enjoy sitting down with you. I'd say because we came from the direction of Premiere together, I just, it was lovely to sit down with you. And just also, I, I so enjoy getting behind, getting behind other creators and just knowing how they work. I find all that side of it fascinating. So I really, really, really appreciate you sitting down with me this afternoon and just having the time to chat. It's oh, been fascinating. So I'll be putting links yeah. to your Patreon page, to your website, of course, the last couple of videos. Super. I'll do all that in the show notes of the podcast. So Kelsey, Premier Girl, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's been an absolute blast. Get me off into the weekend in a good way with a lovely smile on my face. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. No wonder I was looking forward to it. I only hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget, I will be leaving details in the podcast show notes of where you can find Kelsey's presets and templates. So over on her website, which is premiergal.com. Thank you so much indeed for coming on the podcast, Kelsey. It's a real blast and uh, I've learned a lot too. I'll be back with you along with Alex, of course, in just a few days time with the next 116. Until then, take care and I'll see you very soon. Oh, 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 oh